So tonight, our topic is citizens and disciples, voting your conscience. What does that look like? And our speaker is Cy Kellett. Cyril Jones Kellett is the community relations officer for AM1000KCEO San Diego, an Immaculate Heart radio station. He served for a decade as editor-in-chief of San Diego's Southern Cross. Before his writing career, he spent years working on the streets of Boston with the mentally ill homeless. Part of that time was spent living in an urban Catholic worker house dedicated to serving homeless men. He also spent four years supervising a home for severely traumatized children. And for fun, he likes to spend time with his three teens, trying to impress them with his knowledge of pop culture. If you please welcome Sai. Thank you. You can quiz me on pop culture later if you want. Never want to follow the British guy. You just don't sound cool after the British guy goes. That's like, a... thanks a lot, David. Um, also, the, he comes up here and he says, theology on tap started with questions like, why do I have to go to a priest for confession? Or what was the other one? How's God going to impact my working life? And I feel like, oh, those questions are better than the one I'm doing tonight. I feel a little intimidated, but I'm going to, all right, I'll try it. But if you want to talk about those later, we could talk about those later. Tonight, we're going to talk about voting uh, and citizenship. Uh, the document from the Catholic bishops that's about this topic, do you know the name of that document? Does anybody know? It's all right if you don't, because I had to look it up just to make sure. You know, Dennis, don't you? Faithful citizenship, right? It's a good document, so you can take a look at it. If you don't know this website, a, a helpful website for you might be usccb.org. That's the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops.org. And one of the nice things is there's the daily Bible reading is there, all the books of the Bible are there, uh, all kinds of cool stuff. And if you go under the part where it's about faithful citizenship, I think the tab is something like um, issues, and then you go down and faithful citizenship is one of them. There's one of those documents is a PDF document that's um, uh, like a bulletin insert about that. It's just fantastic. It's a really well done document about, uh, about voting and citizenship. It's like taking all the highlights from faithful citizenship and scrunching it down into a bulletin insert. So I suggest that if you, if you like reading long uh, bishop documents, then read the long one. But if you're um, not so into that, then read the bulletin insert one. Uh, they're both really, really good. Okay, so I brought these things tonight. I didn't know how many people were going to be, but I asked Catholic Answers. You all know Catholic Answers? Are you familiar with Catholic Answers? Yeah, we like Catholic Answers, huh? Um, and I got their voter guides, but I, d I don't think I have enough for everybody. So, um, okay, redheads and blondes can go first. No, I don't know how to do this. So I just saw a table of redheads over here, and I was like, boom, I got to hit that. So if I hand them out... Will you be judicious in taking them so that maybe it's like two or three per table and we'll see what's left, okay? Is that, will you help me with that by just giving them to the front tables here? Thanks. Because this is a good document too. And the Diocese of San Diego, could you help me just sure. by starting those that way? Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Thanks for letting me sit at your table, though. Um, uh, the Diocese of San Diego also has a document that you can get by going to the diocesan website, uh, social ministry office. But the social ministry office of the Diocese of San Diego sends out an email uh, that you can get in HTML or PDF every month. Tell me the name of it again, Dennis. I forgot. Do you know why I'm asking Dennis? Because Dennis runs the Southern Cross newspaper. 
Um, and so he knows everything. And uh, because editors of the Southern Cross are very bright people. But what's, what's the thing? E-Link, all right? So you sh if you want, you can hook, get hooked up with the E-Link thing. And I know some of you got your, your um, like, what do they call iPads and that kind of thing, um, which is brave. You could get the sauce on that thing. Probably burn a hole right through it. But um, OK, so I'm just trying to give you these resources so that I don't forget to give them to you. So E-Link is a really good resource. Also, if you just want to be connected to the social ministry of the church, the church is very diverse. The church has lots of different types of ministry. For some people, you know, prayer ministry is the main way they're going to be connected to the church. For other people, um, you know, maybe music ministry is going to be their main way. It's for some of us, social ministry is going to be the main way that we make our connection with the church. And if that's the case, E-Link would be really good for you if you feel like you're one of those people that would, will connect to the church really well that way. E-Link will be good because they got tons of stuff in there. Every month you, you see all this stuff going on around the diocese, all the pro-life stuff, all the pro-dignity stuff, all that kind of thing. And the last one I'll give you is you should look up the California Catholic Conference. And the California Catholic Conference has a monthly newsletter. And even Dennis won't know the name of this. So I'm not even going to try, Dennis. But if you, you can go to the, uh, the CCC uh, website, California Catholic Conference, and they'll, they give you the, the updates on uh, what's going on in the state of California. So that's one, those are a few ways to, still, to be up to date. But we're gonna talk, I'm going to try to be very brief, maybe just do 20, 25 minutes talking about the principles undergirding our, our political um, life as Catholics. And I'm going to admit to you right from the beginning, it's an extremely subtle and difficult topic. Okay? So what I think we should do is divide up the room, maybe like Romney people this side. <laughs> And then Obama people this side, and the Ron Paul people right out there. Um, I'm only kidding about that. I don't. I, I love the Ron Paul. But I don't know what uh, you know. I, all right, I don't know that much about all that stuff. But it wouldn't be. It probably wouldn't be good if we do that. But that does happen in the church. We do, especially because it's an extremely polarized culture at the moment. And many of you have not grown up because you're younger than I am, in a culture that wasn't that was never really highly polarized. Well it seems in many ways to be getting more and more intensely polarized. Um, and I, I, I have a, my own feeling about that, having lived through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and all that. I do think the Roe v. Wade decision was a cracking point in our culture, like a real crack developed. Um, what the great novelist uh, and philosopher Walker Percy calls the San Andreas Fault in the modern mind. That's the term he uses. And if you don't know Walker Percy, he's another great resource for you. Um, but what he means by the San Andreas Fault, what Percy meant by the San Andreas Fault was our society is based on the idea of rights and dignity. Okay? The, we talk a lot about the dignity of the person and the rights that accrue to the person and all that. But if you go to the founding of our country, those rights were rooted even by Thomas Jefferson himself, who was not a believer. They were rooted in the idea of nature and nature's God. That is, Thomas Jefferson believed that there was a natural moral law, and the natural moral law was related to uh, a being called God, who, for Thomas Jefferson, that the conception of that God would have been different probably from yours and mine if, as Catholics. Uh, actually, Thomas Jefferson's conception of God was different from everybody. 
I mean, he was, oh, he was an odd man, Thomas Jefferson. But, the, uh, but he still, there was this sense, even in the, of, in the Enlightenment intellectuals, most of them, of a sense that rights were rooted in nature and nature's God. And so Jefferson was able to say that. Well, then what happens is there's this growing sense of, of de facto atheism, not well-thought-out atheism, which there, there are breeds of well-thought-out atheism, but there's a kind of, in our culture, a kind of lazy, uh, nihilistic um, uh, atheism that has grown up since the end of the Second World War, in which more and more people kind of find God either irrelevant or not really related to their concerns or um, not really an intellectually supportable idea. So that means that a large part of the culture then is carrying around this sense that there is no God, okay? That, that these are what we call in, the phil in philosophical terms naturalists. The natural world is, is what there is and there's nothing else, which is the position of the, the new atheists, just like it was the position of the old atheists, all right? Naturalism is the atheist position. Um, so and, and any of you have been exposed to Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or any of the new, you have? God bless you. Um, the new atheists, you know, their idea is nature is what there is and, and nature is all that there is. Well, this is what Percy says. This is why this creates a San Andreas fault in the modern mind is we still believe in rights. We still believe in dignity, but we have nothing to root it in anymore. It, it can't, so it's, it's, a, um, it's a kind of what you might call cognitive dissonance within our culture. And, and someone like Richard Dawkins, who's an atheist, I suppose if you said, is it true that human beings have rights? He would say yes. But he wouldn't, there would be no, what we would think of as a sufficient explanation for where those rights come from. Even, even a Jeffersonian, at a Jeffersonian level, never mind uh, at a Catholic level, which is, is you know, the, the idea of unalienable rights. Now, Thomas Jefferson used the term inalienable, but most Enlightenment people use the term unalienable. The idea of unalienable rights comes from a group of people called the Salamanca Jesuits from the Spanish city of Salamanca. These Jesuits developed these ideas even before the Enlightenment. So we can trace this idea that we have of inalienable rights to the depths of an emerging out of medieval thought, emerging out of uh, early modern thought in the Catholic uh, faith. So we're not disconnected from these. These are not things that are imposed on the Catholic Church. Although it is very important to say, Northern European Protestants were, did a brilliant job of thinking out the implications of these rights and really gave us a great gift in things like the U.S. Constitution and, and the Declaration of Independence. So we have this rift in our culture. We don't, what we tend to do is avoid it. We don't embrace it and, and dig into it. Um, occasionally you do still hear what, like the Nietzschean atheist position, which is there is no God. The only thing that matters is the will to power. If I have more power than you, I'm in a better position than you are. That, that Nietzschean idea is true nihilism. It's an intellectual, not a lazy nihilism. They really thought it through. They really don't believe in God, and they really don't care about you. All right? Now, that's, sometimes we hear that, but mostly we don't. The atheism of the new atheist is much friendlier and 
and nicer, but it's not rooted in, in something that's, that has true intellectual depth that can go all the way down and say there's, there's something solid that this rests on, okay? That our rights come from nature and nature's God. Well, this erupted radically into our culture with the Roe v. Wade decision, which has, which in many ways, I'll be quite honest about this, and I don't mean to be partisan. I think this is a historical fact. It has in many ways destroyed the moral capacity of the Democratic Party, okay? I say this as a lifelong Democrat, somebody who was raised a Kennedy Democrat from Massachusetts, okay? The inability to say what a human being is and what is owed to a human being has decimated uh, the Democratic Party. Now, that's not an advertisement for the Republican Party. I'm not making an advertisement. I'm just stating a historical fact of something that happened. Now, I wrote a letter to Bill Clinton years ago, and Bill and I became pen pals. Actually, <laughs> when you write to the White House, they send you back a form letter, you know? So I, I was actually a, a pen pal with Bill Clinton's form letter generating machine somewhere, <laughs> all right? The two of us were having a very serious moral conversation, but Bill Clinton did something that to me uh, made it impossible for me to stay in the Democratic Party that I had grown up with, okay? And what was that thing that Bill Clinton did? A bill was passed to say that when a child is in the process of being born, you can't kill that child, okay? It didn't say anything more than that. It said when the child is in the process of being born, at that moment, you can't kill the child. Bill Clinton vetoed, vetoed that bill. Not once, but twice, okay? That is criminal. That's, what we, that's, not, this, this, that's not conscionable, okay? That's beyond the pale. We've gone to a place that's so dark, it, can, it, it cannot stand and our culture will survive. And our culture is dying because of that. Okay? It doesn't mean that our culture will die. Often we have the symptoms of dying and we recover from it. That's part of the American tradition. We get pretty close. All right? It's not as bad as it was in the Civil War yet. And please God, I hope it won't be. Um, but we are in the process of dying if we, don't, if we can't recover the basic ability to say things like, you can't kill babies. Okay? And I'm not even talking about, you know, in the... Well, in the first trimester, second trimester. No, no. When someone's in the process of being born, there is no debate anymore. You know what it is. I know what it is. Bill Clinton knows what it is. They, some people just have given up the ability to say what it is and to give it what it deserves, which is life. Okay? So I wrote Bill a letter. Dear Bill, I'm quitting. And uh, I, told him, I told him why I was quitting. And I got a form letter back which said, well, you know, all this stuff about it, you know, defending a woman's right to choose and all these other things. And so then I wrote a letter back to Bill, this machine, and uh, in my letter back to Bill, I, I pointed out that this was not a morally adequate response, that there's, there could be no doubt anymore what this is, what we're doing. We're killing our children at the moment of being born. There, there's no mystery what that is. And Bill stopped writing. No, I'm okay now, but um, it took, Bill stopped writing. So I wasn't a Democrat anymore after that point. 
Now, not because I think it's better to be a Republican than to be a Democrat intrinsically or anything like that. Only that there are some things that are intolerable, okay? And there has not since that day that Bill, well, those two days on, upon which Bill Clinton vetoed the same law twice, there has not been a single candidate for the Democratic Party's leadership who has said, no, that was wrong. They've all embraced it, every single one of them. So I, there hasn't been an opportunity for me to come back yet. I'm not saying I won't come back, just saying I'm not coming back while we're pretending that we're not doing what we clearly are doing, okay? And doing it every day in this, it's just, just too horrible. Okay, so this is what in that voter's guide, the, um, the uh, Catholic Answers people call a non-negotiable issue, okay? Well, I have a little different image for the non-negotiable issue. Now, I recommend to you that voter's guide, but I don't believe that it's perfect, okay? But I don't believe there's anything that's going to perfectly deal with the difficulties we have in trying to vote and trying to live as Catholic citizens. But I will uh, just give you my image, and maybe my little image will help a little bit. And that is, when we, okay, when I was Dennis's boss, Okay, a long time ago, a time that Dennis prefers to forget about. I was also Elizabeth Boss at one time back there. So Dennis or Elizabeth would bring back a roll of film. Do you all remember that? Have you heard of roll of film before? But okay, all right. Uh, no, okay. So they would bring back a roll of film. We would develop the film, okay? We were a very high-tech newspaper, so we would take it into our developing room, which was at Vons, and... Um, and, and then we would pick it up a day later, and we would lay all the pictures out, okay? So say Dennis was taking pictures of this event tonight. Well, okay, Dennis, as a photographer, that would mean out of the 24 pictures on the roll, 20 of them are gonna be of the back of people's heads, right? Is that right, Dennis? About. So, uh, and then what you do when you get pictures from a photographer anytime is, you don't look at all the pictures, you get rid of the ones you know won't work right away. So you eliminate, you say no, 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 no. And often on a roll of 24, really, it doesn't matter who's taking the pictures, on a roll of 24, you might end up with three, four, five pictures where you're like, that could work, that could work, that could work, okay? So this is the way I think of, of this is what's called having standards, okay? You have standards uh, for the aesthetics of your newspaper. And the standard is, just a picture of somebody's thumb or an accidental picture of, you know, somebody, there's, most of them aren't good enough to go in a newspaper. So you get rid of them. That's just, it's nothing besides having standards. There's no fancy philosophical term for it. There's no deep think. There's just, what is your standard? If it's below your standard, get rid of it. Then go on to the, only deal with the ones that meet your standard. That's what I do politically now. Certain things, okay, let's say, I don't actually know any politicians who do this, but let's say there was somebody who hates Jews, okay? That's a part of their political platform is the hatred of Jews. I, just, I don't need any more information than that. That's below the standard that I'm willing to consider, okay? Just that's one of the photos that will not end up on the, on the table being considered, okay? Let's say there's somebody who um, truly believes that um, the way to deal with... Uh, Muslim societies is to just nuke them, okay? Nope, that's off the table. That's, that's below the standard that I would be willing to accept, all right? Um, 
let's say that there's somebody who believes you should be allowed to kill a baby at the moment of birth. Nope. All right, just, I just throw it off. It doesn't, it's, it, it doesn't make it to the point of final consideration. Okay, now so the Catholic answers people would say these are non-negotiable things. Okay, I just call them things that are beneath a decent person's standards. Don't put up with stuff that's beneath your standards. As, as Catholics, but in some cases just as human beings, it's, it's so obvious some of these things are below our standards. So what are some of the things that might be below our standards? And I would actually like to throw that question out to you. Can you think of anything that I haven't mentioned that might actually come up in the, in the world of politics where you would say, and you don't have to share it, maybe you don't want to share, you know, but you would say, you know what, that position is that's below my standards, I'm not going that low, okay? Can, does anybody want to share one? Can anybody think of one? that would be beneath your standards. Wow, you guys are beautiful. You have no standards at all. You're like, nah, I can't think of a thing, actually. Go ahead, what do you got? Okay, all right, so marriage that's, uh, that's uh, between men and women, or you know, uh, two men or two women, or teaching that, somebody who wants to teach that at schools, that that's, that that's to be called marriage. That would be beneath your standards. What do you got? Okay. All right. You mean just just piling up national debt? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. Oh, okay. I thought you meant a particular Asian country. Like you didn't like the young people there. But no, I got you. Yeah. All right, so like what we might call assisted suicide, mercy killing, those things, which are not the same thing, of course, but yeah, okay, that would be below your standards. You don't, that, that, that's not acceptable. Okay, yeah. You don't all, we, oh, certainly in this room, we don't all have the same standards, all right? How about this, let's depersonalize it. Are there any others you could think of that would be beneath the standards of the church? The church would say no, or that's, go ahead, what do you got? Forcing Catholic health care providers to fund abortion, okay? A violation, we would say, of religious liberty, okay? Also, certainly a violation of the life of the people who would be aborted, uh, but, okay, so that would be below, below the standards of the church. I think you're right on that. I think that that would be, yeah. Having uh, adoption agents, having Catholic adoption agencies um, give children out to be a couple. Um, okay, so is it beneath the standards of the church to have adoption agencies providing adoptions to gay and lesbian couples? The fact is, in the United States, in Massachusetts, in Illinois, and in some other states that I cannot remember at the moment, the state has insisted that in order for the church to be involved in abortions through, I mean abortions, adoptions, excuse me, through Catholic charities, the church has to uh, include uh, uh, gay and lesbian people, couples, in the adoption process. And the church has stopped all adoptions because the church, the, the, the cardinals have said, no, we can't do it. You don't have a right to tell us to do it, for one thing, and it's beneath our standards. Does, now, I gotta be careful on that one because that's not to say that gay and lesbian people are beneath our standards is to say that we believe a certain thing about marriage and we live that consistently, or we try to live that consistently all the way through.
Okay, and that certain thing about marriage has to do with um, God's plan that children uh, be um, conceived, born, and raised by two people who share a, a sacramental union. Well, gay and lesbian marriage isn't even the number one threat to that. There's other much bigger threats to that, but that doesn't mean that we're going to just change our standards everywhere. The church has very high standards. If you said, okay, there's a lot of women in here, okay? Now, men, you'll probably be able to do this soon. I don't know, but at the moment, a woman can go um, uh, with artificial insemination or something like that, become pregnant and have a baby, and people do it all the time. The church would say no to that, too. So we certainly don't want to say we're singling out gay and lesbian people. It's just, it's just that we have a standard for what, where children should be raised and how children should be treated, and going out and purchasing them and hiring surrogates and all that is, is beneath the dignity of the child. So that eliminates a lot of possibilities for us. Okay, I think you guys are onto it. You get the idea of having standards. Go ahead. So what do you say if uh, both candidates have non-negotiable errors? Ah, there we go. What if both candidates are, vi are, are, are in some way violating what the, they call a non-negotiable, non and I would say something that's beneath our standards, our moral standards, okay? What do we do? Here we come to the, the, um, the mother of all virtues, the virtue of prudence. No virtue can be a virtue, except that that virtue includes in it prudence. So the prudent application of our virtues is very difficult. See, that's one of the problems that some people have is morality is too simple for them. Okay, and often that makes us the judge of other people. We become judgmental about other people because we forget uh, you don't know everything. You're applying prudence as best you can to certain things. All right, so some people would say, let's take, for example, um, the immigration policies in the United States. There's no way to come up with an immigration policy without the application of prudence. So one person might look at how somebody talks about immigration and says, um, you know, I'm going to close the borders, or I don't know what, yeah, let's just say I'm going to close the borders, and anybody who wants to work in the United States needs to have all this documentation, or whatever, and somebody else looks at that and goes, that's horrible, you're violating, and, and it probably would be violating some principles of, you know, family uh, unity, which is one of the bedrock principles of all Christian moral thinking. Uh, maybe it would be, but there's a prudential question. How much can, are we balancing things against one another, goods and evils? Well, that's part of what you have to do to be a faithful citizen, is apply prudence, apply the virtue of prudence in measuring which things are, um, which things can be or must be balanced against one another, because you know what? You live on earth. Your, your choices are, are very rarely between good and evil. Choices between good and evil are easy. They're, they're often not easy in the sense of doing, but they're easy in the sense of knowing. So look, if I go cheat on my wife, it's evil. It's easy for me to know that that's evil. Is it easy for me to always, you, had, you better believe it is easy. Well, no, okay, maybe, maybe it's not sometimes. Sometimes for people being, being, you know, something can be morally difficult, but is not a, a, a difficult ethical problem, in other words, is what I'm saying.
Okay? So uh, your question was, what about if there's two non-negotiables? Well, this is a, this is, that's what life is like. Okay? There's often... Now, what, let's, could we maybe try to make it more concrete? What would be the two non-negotiables? Let's say that one candidate wants to um, take all the illegals that throw them out of the country. Maybe killing a few longer way. Okay. The other side is pro-abortion. Okay, so one person is going to kill and deport illegal um, and entrance into the U.S., and the other is going to facilitate abortion. Who would you vote for? The, it, as painful as it may be, you may not be able to vote for either of them. You, in that case, you may have a moral obligation to um, write in another candidate or because you, you can't kill people. I mean, nobody's allowed to kill. You're not allowed to kill innocent people, right? It doesn't matter if they're immigrants or if they're um, babies in the womb. You're, you're not allowed to do that. So in that case, that's, I, I, I didn't know you were going to give us one that was quite so clear. But yeah, that, in that case... There are times, look, there's, there's times when there's nothing you can do. It's like the, here's two really bad choices that the cardinal in Chicago had. I can allow Catholic Charities, who doesn't want to, they didn't want to anyways, but I could, I could tell Catholic Charities, you have to facilitate adoptions to gay couples, okay? Or I can stop facilitating adoptions and doing this good work that we've been doing for like 150 years in Chicago. He didn't get a good choice. He didn't get a, hey, that's a, you know, it was either way a bad thing was going to happen. Okay? Now, what is it, am I saying bad things? People get very sensitive about this. I'm not saying it's a bad thing that they're, um, that, that um, the church might assist in adoptions. That's not what I'm saying. But to, to say that the church would be forced to assist in adoptions in what, that would make it so that the church was teaching exactly the opposite of what the church believes, that's an evil. All right? not helping out all these little children who need adoption help, that's an evil. There was, no, there was no easy one on that. But what the cardinal comes down to, what it comes down to in, in that case is, you cannot have material cooperation with evil, all right? Failing to do the good that you could have done is, is uh, a consequence sometimes of refusing to cooperate with what's evil. I think that was a pretty unclear answer. I'm just thinking it through right now. I'm thinking, yeah, that was pretty unclear. Uh, I'm going to keep working on that one. All right. Um, okay. So the last thing I will talk about from my agenda of things to talk about, and then I would like to just throw it open to have a discussion amongst one another because it's very, very difficult. And I know I hit you really hard with the partial birth abortion thing. And it can be really, when you really start thinking about what we're doing as a country, it can be quite uh, devastating. So... Uh, we do want to think of citizenship as a good thing, though, and participating in voting and all of that as a good thing. But the last, the last thing I will say is there is no way that you're going to properly apply the church's teaching unless your disposition and will are ordered towards applying the church's teaching correctly. That is, if you don't want to, you're going to find ways out of it, okay? If you don't want to, if you're like, mm, yeah, I know, but, okay? You're going to find reasons not to, okay? So, um, actually, I had one other thing I wanted to say, but, but uh, so I'm going to add one thing, and then we're going to have questions. Here's the deal. What are you obliged to do as a citizen? Well, the first thing we are obliged to do is to be disposed to do the will of God, all right? And put it above every other consideration. 
if you're not disposed to do the will of God, it probably doesn't matter how good or clear the church's teaching is because you will find a way to fudge it a little bit, okay? And so one of the key things, really one of the key elements of our um, civic life is our spiritual life, is are we participating in the sacraments? Are we occasionally making it to confession because, you know what, we're not perfect, right? Are we availing ourselves of that? Are we celebrating the, uh, the Eucharist with uh, the regularity that's required of us and maybe even more than that if we have access to it? Uh, those kind of things are really important because those are the things where the Lord does work within us and dispose us to want to do God's will. And once we're disposed there, the church's teaching has a, is so helpful to us. But if we're not disposed there, if we haven't made the effort to become disposed in that way, the church's teaching is just confusing, all right? It's just, it's going to have so many, because the church can never say to you, vote for this guy, don't vote for this guy, all right? Well, I can't say never, but um, even the great bishop, the Lion of Munster, who stood up to Hitler, right? He, he only, he never told people how to vote. He just told them, you can't do this. We can't have this. We cannot have and this was before the final solution and all that. And the bishop said, they're killing people who are in wheelchairs. They're we know that they are, all right? We have to stop pretending that we don't know that they're doing this. They're killing people who are mentally ill, all right? This was before the killing of the Jews started, I think. And so he said, no, we cannot participate in this. It's endless. Once this begins, it's not going to end. He was right about that. But he, he wasn't saying okay, you got to vote for this and vote for these people and not vote for these people. He was just telling people, this is intolerable. All right, and that's what the church will do. You want to get around it? You'll find a way to get around it. If you want to be disposed to do it, it will inform you. <laughs>